0: Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
2: Hello and welcome to Lorewatch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in, well, some of our favorite games. Uh, I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt?
0: I'm absorbing energy from Earth's yellow sun.
2: Well, when you're going to go ahead and fly through the air at supersonic speed and use eye lasers, just let me know.
0: Oh, you'll know. <laughs> you'll all know.
2: Well, today we are going to be doing some more questions from you, our wonderful listeners out there. Uh, And if you do have questions for this or any of our other podcasts, that includes the Blizzard Watch podcast or our brand new monthly podcast, Tavern Watch, which focuses mainly on tabletop role playing games. Uh, and the realm therein. Uh, you can go ahead and send those into podcast at blizzardwatch.com uh, as well as on our Discord channel. If you are a Patreon subscriber, you have a Patreon Q and supporter questions section. Uh, you can ask them there. Several of these actually did come from there. Uh, and if you don't have Patreon, don't want to do the email, but you still want to do Discord, we do have one set aside for Q and podcast questions. All we ask is that you specify which show it's for. Uh, and uh, otherwise, Matt and I, we kind of get into a wrestling match and my back hurts. I don't want to wrestle much anymore. So.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, I I I was actually good at wrestling.
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't want to. I don't want Matt, to. Matt's also got reach on me, which doesn't help.
0: Well, no. I mean, I'm serious here. I actually won like a. I think I won the freshman states the year I, I wrestled. Um, I was actually pretty good. That wasn't a joke. I mean, you you may be good, too. I don't know. Uh, But I was. I I was sincerely a good wrestler.
2: Well, one day we will have an episode about the lore of Matt and Joe, but today we're going to talk about some questions that you folks have for us. And our first one is going to start off with some Diablo questions. Uh, If you have not noticed this weekend, the beta for the Diablo 2 Resurrected uh, came out. Several of us have been playing it. Uh, I actually did stream it on the uh, Blizzard Watch channel on Twitch uh, on Friday. It was actually a, it's been a pretty good time, but that has led to people having several questions about the game itself, and this one comes from our friend LD LDSoft. Uh, what lore do we know about the, conte- the Countess in the Black Marsh in D2? We have the tome that starts the quest, but that's general and vague, and most of the rogue encampment NPCs are just like, oh, yeah, that thing's. Forgot about that. I feel like it would be like living next to the tomb of King Arthur and pretending no one had ever heard of him. Thanks for all you do.
0: No, uh, the Countess is not like living next to the tomb of King Arthur. It's like living next to the tomb of Countess Bathory, because the Countess is Countess Bathory. It's a it's a straight up rip mm-hmm. from real history. Uh, countess Bathory was a, a Hungarian noblewoman, I believe, who decided that, that bathing in blood would restore her youth. Yeah, and that's exactly what the Countess in Diablo 2 is. That's just what she is.
2: If you're familiar with Castlevania, it's where the, the whole Carmella thing comes from as well.
0: Yeah. So uh, when we see the Countess in Diablo 2, it is literally just a reference to the real-life person. They put in minimal lore, just that she's there, that just that she kills people and uses their blood to try and preserve her youth forever. It's a vampire riff. It's the riff on the Countess Bathory, a real-life person. Uh, I don't know how true the actual... Like there's, there's debate among historians as to if Countess Bathory actually ever did anything like that. Like it's a story that was told about her, but there's significant debate among historians as to whether or not the, the woman actually killed people for their blood, but it is the story. It became folklore. It became kind of mythologized. It that's what it is in Diablo two. It's literally just a reference to that. However, she pops up again in Diablo immortal. So if you're wondering what happened to her after that, six years after you kill her in Diablo two, uh, cult of blood-worshipping lunatics bring her back by sacrificing an entire town.
2: I and mean, it feels sort of rather fitting that blood, blood-worshipping blood lunatics de- decided to bring up the blood countess.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, they use one of the, the shards of the world stone uh, to do it because, you know, remember, at the end of Diablo 2, uh, spoilers for a game that came out in 2000, um, at the end of Diablo 2, uh, the the lord of destruction expansion Tyriel blows up the worldstone because baal has infected it with demonic essence and thus it's going to transform all of sanctuary into a tainted hellish abomination and where all the, the people will be servants to the prime evils and thus useful for the war against heaven he decides i don't want that so he destroys the worldstone freeing us but causing shards of the worldstone to rain down all over the entire world of sanctuary uh, somebody gets a piece of it and uses it in a ritual that kills literally everybody in a town called Blackstone to raise her from the dead. But it's not enough; she's not. She doesn't come back all the way. She comes back as a monstrosity, and thus she needs even more blood. So that's your job in Diablo Immortals to go kill her again for good. Let's get her down this time for sure. Um, so yeah, she, that, that's there's no she was a uh, she was a noble woman in canduras she decided that she didn't want to get old because it it's it, it's not good uh, as someone who got old i can understand her point she's bathes <laughs> in blood uh so she doesn't she like literally bathes in the blood of 100 virgins in the game but they bury her alive because they're like oh we don't like it that you've killed 100 of our virgins and we want you to stop murdering people so they bury her alive and that's when you go to the you go to the tomb, she's some kind of monstrosity, and you kill her. Maybe she's a vampire, but it's never really clear. But then she comes back, and, and we're going to see her again in Diablo Immortal. When we, I assume, presumably, we will kill her again. There's not much lower than more lore to her than that.
2: Now, as far as the actual meat of the question, I think, is the idea of how can people in a world like this not know if such a creature exists? I, I in think this I, world? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I, think, I think people have this... Uh, Uh, idealistic idea of how the world in Diablo 2 was for some reason, but... Like it is a very dark and fractured world. That is sort of its entire purpose. It is grim, dark. That's what it is supposed to be. Pockets of humanity don't necessarily communicate with each other very, very well. Oral tradition is the thing, which is why, like, you have people like Deckard Cain and and folks that like gather the lore and try to put them in books or try to record them and try to keep them alive. But you also have tons of these powerful people that in groups that exist that try to keep all of their secrets. Well, secret, they don't want to share because there's demonic corruption. There's been crusades. uh, There's been all sorts of like campaigns to like stamp out perceived, uh, you know, corruption or infection of uh, demonic presence. Like these are core tenets of Diablo and Diablo two. And it even starts with, you know, in the very first cinematic of Diablo two, when you are watching the uh the, the person in the robe go and, and speak with the person, uh Mar- Marius, I think it is, um, in the Marius. Ins- Marius in the insane asylum, and he's talking about him, you know, oh yes, the Dark Wanderer came and this is what happened. But even then, like the den before the Dark Wanderer shows up. It's not a happy place. these are people doing drugs and drinking to escape the harsh realities of their world. so stories about a person that may or may not be like dipping themselves into like virgin's blood it's just kind of the norm like I hate to say it, but like that's not even the worst thing that's happened in this world and so well
0: also i ahead. I wanted to point this out. The countess was entombed hundreds of years before the the game mm-hmm. it wasn't like recently uh have you ever heard of of herman webster mudgett i have not about dr henry howard holmes
2: oh yeah yeah yeah. who was he holmes was a serial murderer wasn't
0: he yes do you know where his house in chicago was uh i lots of people live in chicago do you know where like
2: i don't know specifically where it is no but i've again even in portrayals of of that story they don't tell you exactly where it is it's just a thing that it was there
0: we we live in a mass media culture where there is literally, like, I'm sure you heard about it on, like, a documentary or from some TV show talking about murderers or some book about murderers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The people in Diablo do not have any of that. There yeah. is no network you could just turn on and be like, you know, here's the thing about serial killers. And keep in mind, Mudgett only died in 1896. That's only a little more than, like, and twenty-cent years. And he killed 27 people in his murder house. Mm-hmm. Like, to the point where there's places in Chicago called the murder castle. Yeah. Because, the you know. That was what his
2: house was referred to as the murder yeah. castle with all the traps and everything else.
0: Yeah. He was not, besides being a serial killer, he was also a con artist and a trigamist, The subject of more than 50 lawsuits in Chicago alone. Like this, this was a seriously, you know, and he's a footnote that Joe, Joe and I know about because we like obscure trivia. Mm-hmm. And you could go to Chicago, you could go right to the neighborhood where he lived, and you wouldn't know anything about him. It's not like people talk about it. It's like, why is this guy important? So, uh, oh, yeah, okay, that murder house, we know about that. People move on. Life, life well, moves on. It's not... These people that you talk to when you get the quest, sure, they kind of know about the place, but
2: they're more focused on survival. They're not worried yeah. about a hundred-year-old tale, right? Yeah,
0: day, days, your daily life, even in a place that isn't as horrible as sanctuary. Um, you know, Chicago has its problems, but there's no demons actually erupting out of the ground. It's just stuff moves on, time moves on. Sure, you know, here's another example. You mentioned King Arthur. You have no idea where King Arthur lived,
2: and all we know is all we lived. know is all we know is stories, right? We don't know how yeah. accurate any of that is.
0: Oh, there's a ton of debate about how accurate yeah, it may or absolutely. may not be. There's some historians think there was a figure who inspired the Arthur tales. Some people think that they know who it was. Uh, other people think, no, couldn't be that guy. It, th- And that's like, you know, that's a couple thousand years ago. That's like less than 2,000 years ago because it, was, it would have been around 8,400, 8,500. That's 1,500 years ago. There's stuff is forgotten. Stuff is lost. People don't pay attention to it. There, You know, as Joe pointed out, You're living in a world where, you know, towns vanish because demons ate everybody. Yeah, uh, it's not that big. It's not this this countess who isn't even killing anybody at the moment. Sure, it's a creepy story, but, you know, come on.
2: Yeah. And I mean, and and think about the rogue encampment in particular, too, right? Like when you go back and you ask about it in the rogue encampment, it's an encampment. It's not a city. Uh, Also, like you walk outside of that encampment. There's Carvers, there's uh, Fallen, there's Undead, there's all sorts of, like, sh- shambling creatures. Goatmen are not too far away. Like, it is not a place where you have the, the time and luxury to worry about something that may or may not actually be there. You have clear and present danger in front of you that you need to respond to. And that's one of the things about Diablo that that I think you always have to keep in mind whenever you're, you're on any of those quests, is that world is filled with so many immediate threats. And when Diablo four comes out, I have a feeling it's going to be much the same because the world's even worse place than it was when we left it in three. Right. So they have things that they need to worry about. They don't have time to research. They don't have time to sit in a library, uh, and dust uh, over dusty tomes and worry about this ancient story that may or may not be real. Some folks do. That's why people like Deckard Kane exist or existed, depending on how Diablo four all shakes out. Um, There's reasons why there are archivists, but their work is their work, and it's something central to them, and they exist in one place at a time. They don't necessarily have the network of of information and knowledge, like Matt pointed out, where they can just flip on a TV or pop online uh, or read an email. Everything is all news travels by people literally traveling and carrying news with them, and that news may get distorted based on how it's being delivered. Uh, they may also just not want to share that news. We don't know what's happening. Like, the best example I give is, we don't know what's happening in the Scovos Isles. There's definitely stuff happening there. There's definitely newsworthy stuff happening there. 100%. We know that much. We just don't know what. Nobody's telling us. Nobody's coming, going out of their way to send messengers uh, over the seas back to the mainland to spread the word of what's happening there. Hell, the Amazons weren't even visible in, in Diablo 3. They weren't there. So, like, the world is very cut off from each other, and that lends it to things that are are, are couched in myth and le- legend to sort of not necessarily fade away, but it's not people's preeminent thought. It's not the first thing they think about when they wake up in the morning. Like, we have the luxury of doing that on a lore show, uh, and we have the luxury of doing that as people that that don't necessarily have those same, you know, demons are coming to eat me sort of sort of worry, but they don't. And it's always one of the fascinating things about the world is how fractured it actually is.
0: Think about how notable the fact that the Dark Wanderer is wandering is.
2: Yep, always eastward. That's
0: the fact that they named him that. You know, he's the Dark Wanderer because he's going someplace. Like, they don't go places. Mm-hmm. The trip from, from um, Kedjistan to Kanduras to create, you know, the West March and Kanduras kingdoms was a big deal. That, that that was a once in a lifetime crusade type thing. They don't happen all the time. People don't travel back and forth like this. There's trade, there's trade places, but otherwise if you live someplace you stay there. Mm-hmm. And you worry about your, you know, your area, your home, your hometown, your farm, your the region you live in, the valley you lived in, whatever. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's that surprising people didn't know about the Countess, but there really isn't much more to tell you about the Countess. The Countess is a crazy noble woman who liked to bind in blood, dine in blood and bathe in blood because she thought it would keep her alive and keep her young.
2: That's basically it. Yep. Our next question comes from our good friend Verdigree. Uh, question for either podcast. Well, I stole it for here because, haha. does Illidan sleep? If he can, does, what possible position would he need to be in with those giant wings and horns? I imagine him sleeping in the seat of the Pantheon while Golgan- uh, uh throws several oceans at Sargeras, thereby providing wave noise. Yours, Vertigree. No, he doesn't
0: sleep. Okay. Do you, I you, don't know. <laughs> no idea. It's never come up.
2: <laughs> I do actually find that fascinating, because even in the Illidan book, they never talk about that. Like, Yeah, they, they
0: also don't talk about whether or not he pees, man. Yeah.
2: <laughs> But I I just thought this question was was a fun little thing because, yeah, I mean, I don't know how I would do it if I had, like, horns that big and wings that big. Maybe I would just sleep standing up or sitting up or whatever. Like, I I just imagine him, like, falling asleep in, like, a futon or something. Maybe he can just – maybe he can,
0: like, have his wings beat independently of his consciousness so he's just floating up there with the
2: wings. Oh, the ultimate air mattress. (laughs) Uh, But I – Who knows? Who knows? Uh, he may not. He may just never sleep because, I mean, torturing Sargeras is all he needs in life. Uh, <laughs> our next question comes from Tet uh, Question for Lorewatch and or the Q. Now, this would be an interesting story development. How would you like to see this play out? Uh, there is a link to a Terran Gregory status uh, in which is evening conversation with friends yielded from this very non-canonical gem. Vindicar lands. Velen gets out. Greetings, Prophet. How is the moon? Velen grabs his staff, locks and loads. Get backs in the Vindicar. Prophet? The moon's haunted. This is a reference to the moon's haunted uh Destiny 2 thing, obviously, but it is absolutely hysterical. Like, how would you react uh, if like literally Velen just came to you and said, Yep, we gotta go like murder the moon or something like that?
0: I'm not gonna murder the moon. The moon's like a giant egg and a monster comes out of if I know my Doctor Who storytelling. <laughs> uh, I I mean, who knows? I, I don't think he means that, you know, the moon itself is the problem. I think he means that the moon is haunted. So you have to go up and deal with all the things haunting the moon. Uh, we just had a big portal rip open in the sky. Who knows what came through and haunted the moon.
2: So I guess, I mean, into a larger perspective with all the information that we've, we've gotten about Elune, yeah. Do, but, we, do we actually is, think, is he talking
0: about the moon? We don't know if he's talking about a the figure, we don't know if a the figure is any way related to the moon.
2: That's what I was just going to ask. Yeah. That's what I was going to bridge, bridge, bridge into as a question, like, do we honestly think that there is a, a connection between our moon and a loon?
0: Our moon, no. The moon, a maybe. Because there's two moons on Azeroth. One is like the the, the you know the white the mother and lady. the blue child, right? And the white mother is one that they also call a loon. So quite possibly, she lives on a loon or has something to do with a loon. I don't know. A loon might be involved in a loon, but a loon might have nothing to do with a loon. <laughs> wow, I said that out loud. <laughs>
2: Uh, the only reason I bring this up is because we have been getting a lot of other questions from uh, listeners and just people in general, especially with things that have happened recently in the game, uh, highlighting the relationship between like Alun and in particular, the winter queen. There's been a lot of speculation that because the winter queen is blue and Alun tends to be white, that if the two are the two moons are a reference to them and their relationship, we don't know. Um, but it is something fun to think about. And uh, honestly, at some point, like I, I am starting to question where villains been this entire time. And I guess that would be a good caveat or, or a good uh, lead-in question. So throughout the entirety of everything that's happening in Shadowlands, I haven't been playing Alliance at all. Um, where's Velen? Where, what do we think he's doing? Like, we understand Legion was, like, a thing, and, like, that was pretty pretty taxing on him. But, like, what do we think Velen's doing? Why isn't he around? This seems like something that would be right up his his alley or something that, like, he would be definitely at least you know, hands deep in at some point.
0: Dude, he's busy. The moon is haunted. I mean, come on.
2: <laughs> Moving away from that. Do you have do you have any 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 ideas or speculation that you'd like to put forth?
0: I no, I don't know where he is. Um, honestly, I find myself wondering if he's not trying to figure out what to do with himself. I mean, the Legion and the fate of his world was a big deal. It's <sighs> he got to go back to Argus. He got to see what happened to the world, but now like when, when at the end, like we, we left Argus in a hurry, like we were chasing after Sargaris, we went through the portal to try and you know escape while they were pulling him into the seat of the pantheon. They didn't get to go back to Argus they they had to like immediately leave, and that's the last time Alun left left Illid in there, and we booked it out, and he saw the sword wound on the planet, and that's that's it that's he didn't get to go back to Argus, he didn't get to reconnect with those people that he had just reconnected with, the ones that blamed him. For leaving them. He didn't get to do anything about that situation. And now, like, he's, you know, the portal to to Argus is gone. I found myself wondering if if he's not trying to figure out a way to get back there. Now that the Legion's been dealt with, he might want to reclaim his homeworld. Yeah. He might want to fix what happened to Argus. I don't know. Uh, there's been nothing. That, he has not made an appearance that I can think of. Can't I find- like He has not shown up. They have not seen him. He's not mentioned in, like, you know the the, the peace that was supposedly founded between the alliance and the horde. I don't think he has any lines.
2: And he wasn't and he wasn't there at the the top of like uh Ice Crown Citadel either. Like no, when he we were not. when we were doing the uh the opening of the portal to take us into the Shadowlands via the, the Helm and Domination shards, Velen wasn't there at all. No, he doesn't even make any appearances aside from taking in
0: refugees from from uh Tildrassil, we don't see or hear anything from the Draenei uh in in Battle for Azeroth. There's no specific draenei response to it or force involved in it. That, th- that's basically there they have not been they've been effectively a non presence, especially Velen.
2: Yeah, and I also find that very I don't want to say telling but worrisome when you start to factor in that like everything that's happening with Anduin and the fact that at least we can travel between the Shadowlands and uh Azeroth pretty freely, you figure word would have gotten to him that hey, Anduin's, you know, been taken over by this horrible cosmic entity. Uh, a loon is possibly going to blow up Tyrand um, you know the light is being used as a weapon in Revendreth uh, and it, well, you know
0: we're kind of that's one of the weird things about this us communicating back with Azeroth stuff it's never been fully explained to me uh, how what do they know back there how mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. F- How fast is the news going like do, do, do does the average person in Stormwind know that their king is currently the servant of a entity that wants to destroy existence um, does, does you know does Gen know that? Does uh, Turalyon know that? Gen and Turalyon are the ones running the country. Are they aware that the person that they're holding onto the seat for is currently, you know, a, a, a puppet in the hands of a, a, like a dark figure who wants to destroy existence? I mean, hard to say. I mean, we don't really know how much the people know. Clearly, news got back to Talia and she managed to get across into the Shadowlands was anybody been seen leaving the Shadowlands and, that, and then and coming a, back
2: aside from the mall Walker. I don't think anybody has. And that I think is that's also idea. another interesting, point. like, like how if, they if, people,
0: get if people can't leave the Shadowlands again, I mean, the portal is there, but like, you know, we know the portal's there because we see it get made, but our people like we haven't seen anybody come through, talk to us, leave and then come back. We haven't like heard like well, I went back and informed everyone of what's going on. I don't think that's actually happened.
2: No, it hasn't. So
0: so we don't know how long has passed on Azeroth.
2: Yeah, and I think like that's...
0: Talia Talia might have shown up because she was looking to talk to Bolvar, not because she heard anything. Yeah. She seems just as surprised as anybody to hear that, you know, our friends are being held. We have to say Anduin. Like she she's she's going on, like, you know, what what? You know, she doesn't seem to know any more than anybody else does. Yeah, so I the, don't know. I, I really don't.
2: And the only entities we know that have like successfully moved between like the Shadowlands and back to Azroth are literally the Maulwalkers because we've taken broker portals, we've we've gone through uh, portals. Yeah,
0: we. I went and talked to a, as as Shara, not a Shara. Um, Alex Straza. You yeah. got to talk to Alex Straza at one point. Yeah.
2: And it, it's it's fascinating because like yeah, you like you said like they never go back. Like we don't see and we don't see reinforcements coming back through either. And I wonder if that's purposeful. I wonder if that's because they realize that going back is a, a horribly huge effort. The only ones we see really uh, lending anything are the Ebon Blade, which has been established that they can travel between the worlds. Plus, um, the,
0: Ebon Blade, the Ebon Blade comes through with, with Bolvar. Yes. Um, but they don't, like, when, we, when they come through, they seem to have completely given up on, like, the guys who went through into the Maw. And it's we, we're the ones who go free, like Darian and so forth.
2: And they're the ones, ones, and they're the ones that are able to establish the portal back to Azeroth that we can use. Is the Ebon Blade?
0: Is that them? I don't remember if it was them or if it was the. I don't remember who did it, but okay, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, it's like it's one of those things. Like up until they show up, you know, I don't know how many people have gone through. I don't know how much time is passing because we keep hearing that time doesn't really exist in the Shadowlands and it's a concept of mortality. But that means that you know we could be doing all this stuff in the shadowlands and then we could go back and like almost no time has passed. Like we have no idea. Like when we go through and tell Alex Strazzo what's going on and then go back to the shadowlands for all we know, we just told her that. And, and then, you know, nothing that happens in the, in the shadowlands, we could go back through and she'd be like, yeah, you told me five minutes ago. We were like, Look, we've been there for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Like we have no idea. We, we don't know what's going on with that. So it does. I'd like to know more. I'd like to see more, but I, I don't know.
2: Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I've been looking forward to is uh, the sort of like effect or, or what happens as a result of what's happening with us in the shadowlands, like what happens back on Azeroth. And I want to see a little bit more about that. And I understand that we've had more pressing things to sort of worry about with um, for reforging the sigils and going after the jailer and, now bringing down Sylvanas and doing all of that and trying to to figure out a way to keep him from accomplishing whatever his goals are. But I would also like to have something that talks about what's happening back home because there is a lot of things like that I just want to know about. How are uh, How's the Horde dealing with the aftermath of, uh, well, now Sarfang dying, Thrall being picked up and carried into, and Bane uh, being picked up and carried into, uh, the Shadowlands not returning. Uh, how is the Council holding up? How are how is the uh, the are aftermath of the betrayal from Battle for Azeroth? All that I, other stuff. I
0: got I got one for you. Are there any trolls who are just minding their own business, talking to the Loa, and suddenly Vol'jin steps out and goes, "Hi." Yeah, like, Vol'jin's like a god now, guys. What the f?
2: You are, we are we are literally hatching him from an egg. I think at this point he's in an egg, uh, being reborn as a Loa to go back to Azeroth, like. How's that going to play out? How wh- you're sitting there in your your Zandalari troll, and you're playing, you're praying to Rizan, and you're expecting a Tyrannosaurus Rex to come out, and it's not a Tyrannosaurus Rex, but it's Vulgin going, "Hey, what's oh, up?" Oh
0: no! Oh oh no! Oh, this would be so good. Go for it. It's a Tyrannosaurus Rex with Vulgin's hair and tusks. <laughs> <laughs> That's his new form. He's a T-Rex a, with a, tusks and a big haircut.
2: A Vulginosaurus Rex. Yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> It's perfect.
2: Well, I think I have the name of this episode for this week. Uh but yeah, no, but there, there's all I sorts of name my...
0: hey, on what, you what? Ah! what you're doing. Ah what what wait, what who are you? Um it's me, Volgin. Why are you a dinosaur? Weren't you expecting a dinosaur? I could have just showed up in myself. <laughs> oh, right, good point. I, I think I I think I peed myself. What is up with you? Oh, i'm you know, I'm I'm your new Loa. I'm the Loa of Kings now. Me, vulgin. What? How did that happen? Oh, it's a long story. You remember that Maul Walker fella? Yeah, and I keep forgetting is that Horde or Alliance? Doesn't matter. Anyway, they helped me out. Now I'm the Loa of Kings. <laughs> Spread that around <laughs> to all the Zandalari that I have previously been killing in my opposition of their attempt to rule the world. Yeah. Does Voljin like he died before they joined the Horde? Does he know they joined the Horde? I guess he does.
2: No, he, does. he met.
0: He met Talanji. Yeah. He,
2: yeah, he interacted. He's interacted with Talanji, and we that was that was established during Battle for Azeroth is both factions essentially, uh, regard whatever your respective, um, well, respective perspective is, found the urn and were tasked with bringing the urn to a, the the very specific place and then find out like all those interactions. So like. We know, both factions know that he's he's dead, but not really, because you interact with him. That's just a thing. So it wouldn't be that surprising, maybe necessarily, but I think that most of the Zandalari would have no idea who he is. Uh, so if they're, they're praying for the Loa, they're praying to Razan and he shows up, that would be a hysterical thing, because it's like, yeah, you're not Razan. He's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm Vol'jin. Like, I, I would be down for that. <laughs> Alright, I think we can move on to our next one. Um I'm sorry, but I'm still loving the image of uh <laughs> just this big T-Rex with volgen's hair. What's
0: going on, guys? It's me, Vulginosaurus Yeah.
2: Um our next one uh is from uh i think it's Jonah Dewar. Uh it's why would demons in the Burning Crusade be casting holy spells? Can all beings cast all magics, but instead specialize in their natural magics, as evidenced by druid casting arcane and Khadgar using a modified pre-spell? Can demons command the light? We've seen some instances of where the, at least the Nathrezim, have definitely been able to call upon the light, or at least show that they are. The question, though, like in some of them, is whether or not they actually are doing it, or whether they're just using their powers of illusion and in sort of. Um, basically mind-bending abilities to display that they're using light but aren't actually using the light Um but we do know that they apparently can because there is a nathrazine that is i can't Lothraxian, that's his name right yes yeah, it
0: Lothraxian. although we know he's meant he might be the the infiltrator mentioned in that whole thing but yeah, yeah Lothraxian.
2: but it seems like he's suffused with the light or at least gives off enough of it that other paladins uh at, Feel like he's got the light at his command, um, but the other interesting thing, and Matt's pointed this out a lot over the the course of years, is that the light doesn't necessarily have a sentience about it necessarily, and it sort of seems like it can be wielded by anybody who's capable of making that connection. Like uh, I believe Matt loves to point out Zeliak as a great example of that. He is Z- Zeliak is a or was a horseman of the. Um, next he was one of the horsemen of the Lich King yet could still call down upon the light and still use the light forsaken priests can still do it even though they're dead, um, or undead. We've seen instances of creatures and, and other things being able to call upon the light to do various things because the light is, uh, ostensibly a tool to be wielded. Um, what do you think about why demons possibly could do it or if they actually are doing it? Um, Well, I mean, there's the possibility. I I don't
0: even know if I would say that it's not that the light light doesn't have sentience. It's that we don't understand the light or how it thinks or how it feels or if it thinks or feels. It's very hard to make judgments on a mortal scale of entities that might have transcended existence and that certainly exist outside of our universe. Uh, The light definitely seems to be willing to be used in ways that would be offensive to us. Like it was totally it, the light had no problem with Zera using it to like force Illidan into becoming some pure paragon of it. It did not care in the slightest. It it did not oppose her. It did not stop her. Illidan stopped her. She she was going to do it. She was going to turn him into a like the perfect weapon of the light that she believed he was destined to be. And that's there's that whole idea that the 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 void the shadow sees a thousand truths. Anything is possible the void the light sees one truth one thing is true one thing is what you're supposed to have there's supposed to be one true thing and nothing else can be true it's it's rigid and doctrinarian it's not flexible it it illuminates and illuminating reveals the truth so i think that if is a demon using a holy spell it might be it might be doing so because it knows how to channel the light to that purpose or it might just be that it's a game mechanic like, the demon is using the fell to do something roughly akin to healing via chaos, but it's, you know, the game has mechanics, and one of those mechanics is that yeah, you know, healing spell is a holy spell. Um, Which is could, not necessarily
2: true even in game mechanics, because shadow priests yeah, have shadow mend.
0: Exactly. But it might be that. It, it might be something as simple as, like, you mentioned Zeliac. Zeliac could control the light even though he was undead and it was destroying him, he could absolutely do it the light did what he told it to do not mm. what it wanted to do the light might not the light itself as a force might have an opinion and a will but as it enters our world it becomes a power source and it can be used for whatever you believe in hard enough and it's it's not up to the light to make those decisions it, it, who knows uh, this is something I'd love to see explored more I'd love to see there be like a a discussion of it by you know characters who would know i would like to actually see the light and the void become i, I don't know if i want the cosmic war if everyone keeps saying they want i don't know if i want like a full-on light void fighting each other expansion but i would like to see a more nuanced take on how the light works and and who can wield it and why because there have been like like Joe pointed out, all the stuff you pointed out is accurate. There have been Forsaken using it, there have been Undead. Uh there's been a lot of people using the light for a lot of reasons that may not be all that great. Mm-hmm. Uh the Scarlet Crusade, oh, many yeah. of people in that can use the light. And they're fanatics who murder people. People who have nothing to do with what they're upset about. So yeah. I would I'm I I think that it is something that that, that could be more explored. Uh, and Lothraxian certainly even if Lithraxian is a sleeper agent infiltrating the light on behalf of the Nathrasim, he is using the light. He's using it. He's not faking it. Like He's surrounded by too many people
2: yeah, to like, be faking it. They Maybe. would know that. Like, I, I, one would assume that they would know that, especially somebody even
0: if Even if you're, you're going to say that while well, he's a Nathrasym, they're inherently deceptive, he could fool people. He couldn't fool all of them all the time. Yeah. He he spent like a thousand years on a ship with a Naru and a whole bunch of paladins. He would have got caught sooner or later.
2: And not only that, like, somebody as suspicious as Ilaria was, come on. Like, if he he was doing something, like, weird, she'd know. And I think she was skeptical at first to begin with. So, like, she was definitely watching him. (laughs) So, the other thing that I think is an interesting question here uh, within the question is the idea of uh basically not having exclusivity with magic being welded. Um, and I think there is some truth to that. I think a lot of what we understand as like exclusive, like mages use arcane energy or shamans use nature energy or druids use nature energy. It's not necessarily as cut and dry outside of game mechanics. There's been plenty of established um for lack of a better term, cross-class sort of like influences, right? You point out that Khadgar uses a modified priest spell or druids can use arcane spells, Um, particularly like even like elves, like they have that sort of like natural affinity for for sort of arcane magic. Uh, I think that anybody can wield any magic as long as they study hard enough or have the natural inclination. And I think it speaks more to understanding of how the fundamentals of magic work for those people more than anything else. I don't think that just because you're a druid that you can never become somebody capable of casting like an arcane bolt uh, or vice versa. There's night elves in general, right? Like their society was very divided between it doesn't mean that they couldn't do the other side of it. They just had people that were, like, high arcane mages, and then others that were like, nah, we're gonna be over here in Natureland, we saw what happened. But they started as people that were capable of basically doing insane arcane feats. Um, Look at the... uh, Why can't I remember the name of them now? The um, In in Nighthold. um, Nightborn. Like, they could theoretically branch out into other magics quite easily because they had that level of understanding, but they were primarily an arcane society. So... I think when you start talking about the actual, like, story of how magic works, it becomes a little more blurred and nuanced as opposed to just pure game mechanics where everything is divided into neat little columns. So, you know, story-wise, you could see Cadgar understand, oh, that's how priests do this. Maybe I could do something similar and then do something similar. Um, I, I, I think that there's room for that. And as Matt pointed out, maybe demons can do something that approximates what the light can do using Fel because, well, it's... Fell is what it's the breakdown of light, or it's when light and shadow interact with each other, or something. Yeah, like that. it's
0: like it's like raw chaos. It's yeah. it's the 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 of annihilation of light and so yeah. Um, maybe they can do something like they can mutate you, and it's like being healed. I don't know.
2: Yeah, we don't know, but you know, something to think about for the future. Our next one comes from Elsa, who is a frost death knight on Lothar. Love the name, very fitting. Uh, okay, so here's another one for lore watch, which is less of a question and more of an observation. I think. Uh, should we kept in mind when speculating? Of course, I could be wrong. There's been a ton of talk about Zoval's true form looking very drusty. And then from there, thinking about potential leaks. Uh, but after looking at the cutscene several more times, I don't think it's the same wicker punk look that the drusts have. Rather, I think that's his original armor, and that what we're seeing in on, on his chestplate isn't wood, but rather just damaged metal. Uh, I've been thinking it was more likely the arbiter was actually part of him, and that that's where it was torn out of him sort of thing. Having just finished the final chapter of this part of the story, I'd say that's been confirmed to be the case. Question Yes. Um, and, you know, if this campaign's been out for a couple of weeks now at this point, um, you, that, that is pretty much established. And straight up, like when you go and talk with the Primus, he tells you, yep, totally ripped it out of his chest and did the whole thing. Um we created a construct to go ahead and do this because we couldn't trust him anymore, and then locked him away, and the piece that he just took back, well, that was part of his anima that we ripped out, the part that was capable of doing the judging. Um, so we know that that to be true, but that doesn't necessarily preclude it being drusty, um, at least in my opinion. And again, this is 100% my opinion, uh, nobody else's, but it doesn't mean that the drust aren't necessarily based off of whatever his speculation or his armor was. Um, and when I say that it's Drusty, it's, yeah, it looks like damaged metal, but it looks way more organic, um, which unlike most of his followers and most of the uh, creatures you see inside of the mall, the constructs, they don't seem very organic. They seem very uh, smithed. They seem very created. Uh, even when you're going through the Sanctum of Domination, everything has a very crafted feel to it. But when he gets his piece back, it feels incredibly organic. And I'm pretty sure that that was intentional. They could just have him wearing armor, but it doesn't look like armor. It looks like him, like it's growing forth from him.
0: Okay. I've been thinking about this for a while, and I think I know what you're talking about. I'm going to show you a picture of something. Okay. Obviously, people won't see it, but you'll see it. And I think it is an interesting thing to think about uploading it now. That's okay. a drust from Ardenwield.
2: So for those of you at home, since this is an audio format, uh, this is the quote-unquote wicker punk look. This is the armor that looks very organic. Um, it looks like it is the mask laid over the yeah. body of one of the Sylvan.
0: Yeah, it's specifically a Drust Soul Cleaver. Yes. Uh, and uh, looking at it very effectively, have you looked at the plate armor that you get for the to Covenant in Ardenweald?
2: Yeah, it's very, very similar.
0: I don't think he looks like a Drust. I think he looks like Ardenweald. Okay. I think he looks like the the heart of the forest, which was used to hold him in the first place. Remember?
2: That's true. We're yeah. told that
0: the heart of the forest was essential to the magics that bound him. I think that the Drust, when they invade Ardenweald, we know they use the native people of Ardenweald. They put those masks on them and they take them over. It might not be that he is like the Drust, It might be that the drust are trying to be like him. Okay. And I think that's an important distinction because it doesn't mean that he's that the drust have been like serving him or working for him. It might be that they are attempting to use secrets they have found that relate to him. Almost. Or, you know, you find like a a couple of recipes that a, a famous chef left behind and you try and make the same food. Maybe you will succeed, maybe you'll fail. You know, you don't have his full book of recipes. You just got a couple of recipes, but you're, you know, now you can at least know. Well, this is how he did this. This is how he did that. Maybe you know, you can extrapolate from there. Maybe they're trying to use something that they learned. We know that Zoval can do the thing he's done to Anduin. Mm-hmm. The thing he's done to Anduin Subjecting. is not dissimilar to what the Drust do.
2: Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah,
0: and it's. It may not be that there's a direct connection between them. They might not be working for him. They may not be like, you know, inspired by him or anything like that. But we do know that that the Drust were Vrykul. Cool. The Drust and the Vrykul cool are related. There there were one people at one point and then the Drust got stranded in called Terris when the when the, sh- the big shad sundering happened and tore the world in half. The Drust ended up on what is now called There was Drustvar back then to them. And we know that they would have, therefore, there were certain figures that they would have venerated. Um, and one of those figures was Odin, mm-hmm. who was the prime keeper. And we know that Odin traded his eye to somebody who was working for the jailer, giving that person a, a stake in and connection to all the things that, you know... Odin was using the secrets that he gained from that deal to raise his stormforged and to create his Valkyrie. It's quite and we know that the the up in the north, the Vrykul knew about the Valkyrie.
2: They did, yeah, they absolutely did.
0: Um they were when, when the Lich King started showing up with, with Valkyrie, the, the you know, the the Vrykul were like, Yeah, we always assumed that he got that not that idea from them. But now we know that he was he was also part of the jailer's group, right? The Jailer was working through him. The, he was the Jailer's power that he was drawing upon. It's possible that when looking through into the Shadowlands, the Lich King saw the, the Valkyrie and copied them. You know, we, we don't know. We, there's a lot of stuff we still don't know about the relationship between the Lich King and the Jailer. But it's quite possible that the same thing happened to the Drust. We know that their Druids touched upon life and death. The Thorn Speakers, they're very much into the cycle of life and death. Mm-hmm. We meet a thorn speaker druid in Ardenweald who's like totally down for like the cycle and not at all serving the Drusts that are invading. For generations the Drusts served that cycle. Just like the one the thorn speakers we meet today, like the uh, I can't remember his name but he's the bear one up in uh in in Drustvar.
2: The one that the one that basically allows cultureance to become druid.
0: Yeah, that guy. Uh, I want to say Olfar, but I don't remember. I think that I think uh, you're right, yeah. That guy is is working for the whole cycle of life and death. It's quite possible that it's the jailer who corrupted called, you know, Gorak tool. Gorak tool didn't want the cycle for life of life and death to happen. He didn't want that to be going on anymore. He wanted it's to break quite, the cycle. Yeah, and what does the jailer want to do?
2: Break the cycle. Yeah,
0: so it may not be something like we work for the jailer where his servants. It might be that they're inspired by him. That they looked they looked into the realm of death and saw him. When we see them in that outfit that looks so similar to the jailers, it might not be because, you know, the jailer is, is a drust or wearing drust armor. It might be that the drust have taken from various sources things that are inspired by the jailer. But I do feel like there is a connection. I just don't know what it we don't is. know. You know, we don't know which came first here. We know, we know that the jailer existed well before the Drust did, but we don't know if the jailer came to the Drust and said serve me, or if the Drust were looking into the realm of death when they were trying to create Thros, and they saw the jailer and they learned like they're like whoo we like this guy you know because we know that the 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 Vrykul up in Northrend were were serving Arthas and calling him the Death God you know they were looking for a figure you know they believed that the Titans had abandoned them remember yep. The Titans let this this curse of flesh to happen to us. The Titans don't care about us anymore, so they might have turned away from Odin and found a new god. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's a lot of possibilities here. I do think there is a resemblance between the j- jailer's, you know, armored up form and the Ardenwield armor and the drust that are wearing various variations on it. But I think that it, the connection is that it is Ardenwield based.
2: I like that actually. I think that is a very good uh, a very good thing that I had not considered. So. Cool, and hopefully we'll find out some more about that because I feel like yeah, the I dress definitely aren't feel like done.
0: we should, yeah, we definitely need to see more of the dress coming up.
2: All right, uh, we have one more question left here for today, uh, and this is going to be from Dalos, who's a blood elf warlock on the Shattered Sun Blades Edge realm. Uh, so these are based around the Grimoire of the Shadowlands that came out, and particularly some of the stuff around the cover of it. Um, these questions also come with a highlight of the cover from the Grimoire of Shadowlands, where Torgast is visible visibly layered beneath Oribos. Uh, If you haven't seen the cover of it, the dust jacket for it is semi-transparent, which is odd for most books when they come out. Um, Most of them are solid pieces, basically meant to protect the, the undercoating, but in here it seems like a deliberate choice, or art choice, that are possibly play into this. So... The questions here are, the Arbiter was just an, the observations, I should say. The Arbiter was just an animal construct made from part of the Jailer that was in charge of judging souls. We have confirmation of that. We know that that's part of the latest campaign. Uh, We did have a theory uh, that the Maw was initially effectively all of the original Shadowlands and is showing clear decay from whatever it once was. Oribos, for all that it's the Eternal City, is pretty obviously a constructed and almost sterile place before the Maw Walker has arrived. The operation of the place was very mechanical and artificial. Uh, the art design of the cover of the grimoire is clearly not accidental, implying that some form of connection between Torghast and Oribos. What do you think is being said or implied by all of this combined? Given that you don't know all the specifics yet because the story is still unfolding, wild speculation is both allowed and encouraged. Thanks again for the great podcast. Um, the sterile comment actually kind of got me thinking, and I think there's some there's a lot of truth to that, too. We've always talked about that Oribos felt very constructed or very intentional and that it might not necessarily have been the original piece that was there. But when you get there, there's nothing but constructs and brokers there and the constructs, essentially the, the caretakers uh, they're very clinical, very programmed in how they tend to things. They have very specific functions. They follow those functions and that's it. The brokers are sort of like the, Uh, odd thing out. They don't necessarily follow any specific thing and the attendants are not necessarily happy that they're there, but they don't have any directives to kick them out either. And it seems like the brokers are kind of sitting there or squatting there on sort of a technicality because again, the attendants were never given explicit instructions to remove people from Oribos. Um, And you look at Oribos and it does feel like, I don't want to say that there's pieces missing, but it's incredibly small for such a main hub. And one would have expected that if it's going to be a place where souls go to be judged, that there would be more happening there, that there would be more spaces or possibly representatives from the other, from the, co- from the covenants or other lands or things like that that would well, be also, there to pick them up, right?
0: Uh, also, uh, something you've pointed out before, but I wanted to bring up now because it makes sense. Why? When the Arbiter goes down, does the soul flow that starts in Oribos Mm -hmm. default to the Maw and specifically to Torghast? Mm -hmm. Like, that's not a design you would expect. You don't, you would not think that if you are judging souls to decide where they should go, and one of those destinations is the garbage pit disposal prison where only the worst souls go, that that would be the default setting. Like, oops. Oops, the controller is out. Everyone goes to hell. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. why would that be your default? Why not why wouldn't you default to Revendreth? Where it's where people go to be punished for their sins. At least if once they got to Revendreth, most people probably got something they could be punished for. Maybe they don't really deserve it, but you know, it's it's at least, well, you coveted chocolate cake, but we'll purify you of that. And then you can go wherever you want. Okay. I really regret that. That wasn't much animal, but okay. I guess you're going to, to where do you want to go? Wheel? Yeah, sure, fine. Go to Wheel. That cake was pretty good, though. Up your back in the punishment chair. <laughs> I, I just, I feel like, you know, I, I just, if there wasn't a reason for it, and I don't know what the reason is. I don't know if it's that Torgast and uh, orbos were once one, the same place, or if the fact is that we're assuming that they built Orbos. But imagine if Orbos was the original seat of, of Zaval when he was the Arbiter. So
2: I, I think I have, it, a, I have a kind of a, ta- a theory about it, but go ahead.
0: I'm just thinking in terms of if that was the original seat, it would have been in the Maw, which would have been not the Maw, because they, you know, they wouldn't have had a garbage dump to send people yet. They didn't have a prison for the worst possible souls. They literally made that for Zaval. Um, so what was the Shadowlands like before? I mean that's way beyond my my pay grade here. I could I could speculate, but I'm sure Joe's got something going. But I do think it's possible that Torgast looks the way it does and acts the way it does not because it was built at the same time or is a part of orobos but because it is a mirror of orobos
2: I think that's entirely uh, it, it is, possible.
0: Okay, you go.
1: No,
2: so, I started thinking about this a little bit more and I'm wondering if orobos did exist, but not in the same way that we th- think it is now right i'm wondering if it was never intended to be a seat of power or a city and all and that it was supposed to be a funnel and that's why everything that comes into the shadowlands passes through it it's just a collector and that collector then takes it down to the sorting room and that sorting room was originally Torgast, where the seat of power possibly originally was and Torgast gives you that feeling that it's a it's a huge place. Like the Sanctum of Domination itself is massive. Uh, Torgast is a huge and winding place. Why is it set up like that? It's Torgast not-
0: is so big that you could. There's a chamber just off the front door where you can just handily imprison somebody.
2: Yeah, yeah, like just. And he was big. And then when you, <laughs> and then and go into go into Torgast and look down. Like, go to the middle and just look down. What does that look like? It looks like, again, Oribos and sort of like that central chamber. And I'm starting to wonder if Oribos is the leftover bit of a filter that was essentially put in place and then beefed up to take on a role that it was never intended to. And I don't think we're necessarily incorrect in our assumption that the Shadowlands was much more connected than it was originally, because if everything went down to Torghast and then, you know, split off from there... That's why Corthia has a lot of that same information. That's why there are these floating lands. That's why they can be pulled into the Maw. It's not necessarily that the Maw, you know, is its own little, I hate to say it like this, like this own little bubble, but it was a piece of it that was broken off from the rest in order to isolate somebody so that they couldn't go anywhere else. And so I'm starting to wonder if all Oribos was originally was the Soul Siphon that took everything that was coming in and directed it to one location, and then that one location is what no longer exists anymore. And instead, right,
0: hold, hold on, though. Go ahead. Let's go with what you just said. The maw is the piece that got detached mm-hmm. so that they could imprison someone in it. What if we go back to the idea that the more the Torgast and Orobos were once like connected to each other? What if the reason that Orobos is where it is and we could see all that stuff from Orobos? Remember, that you could see uh, anima pathways from each realm to. Oribos, mm-hmm. is it was literally the top of Torghast
2: also possible.
0: And when they imprisoned him, they literally ejected it and it didn't go anywhere. It stayed where it was. And it's the maw and Torghast that descended into a new plane of existence,
2: which is why it's still the default setting when the machinery yeah. is broken.
0: Because the machinery would have just the, the soul flow would have just gone as you pointed out down to the sorting room, which at the time was in the same place. There was mm-hmm. like a, it was a single tower, um, but when they broke it off, and it's it's not that Torgast looks different than the than Ourobos because it was made differently. You know, to mirror the jailer's mood when he was corrupted by what he'd been stripped from him, it changed with him. It mirrors him. It is is—it's the objective correlative of his state of existence. And now that we've gone through it and he's successfully regained that part of himself that he lost, that's an interesting question. We know that he's looking, possibly looking for that, like, what is it? Zerith Mortis? Zerith Mortis? Zerith Mortis? The thing that he was talking to. Uh, it wasn't him, it was uh, Vinari and Tal Gorshom or whatever the case yeah, the name Zer- is. Yeah,
2: Zerith Mortis, then, yeah.
0: Someone pointed out to me, I remember I was talking about online about this, that Azeroth mm. and Azeroth are not very far off. I mean, know that the Jailer wanted the soul of Azeroth for something.
2: You know what was also pointed out to me today, which I thought was really fascinating, and this could just be a case of, of reused assets, but if you look at the sword that Sargeras used that's currently still sticking out of Azeroth, like, look at the art for it, that sword is in the vault inside of Corthia. Uh, there's a representation of it the exact sort inside of the vault i don't think that's a mistake i don't think it's a reused asset because it's the only other place that i've seen that art nowhere else i haven't seen it repeated anywhere else but it's in that room where you go and uh before the the keeper of, of fates uh gets taken it's in that room like there's a lot more going on here than i think that i think we realize or and like again like with the grimoire it doesn't feel like just happenstance. It feels like these are deliberate choices that are being made for environmental storytelling. Like you pointed out with the, the names of, of things that was presented to you with the idea that like the sword exists in multiple places. Why? Why is it the only one other one I would have expected to see it elsewhere if it was just a reused asset? Like, I, I don't know. I think we're about to find out a whole lot more because one of the things at the end of the camp, the current campaign questing is, Is that the primus basically says, yes, there's way more to this story. We just don't have time. We need to go and do this and then we'll talk later. He's basically pulling the ultimate, uh, you know, stereotypical book, Dad. I don't want to talk about this now. We have other things to worry about. Then we can talk about our emotions later. Um, And we are going to find out more. That's not a question. Um, It's just a question of when and like, how does the sepulcher. Uh, Mix into this? What is the importance of it? What is he going after? What is Oval going after? And how does that tie in with everything else? And how does that specifically tie in with Azeroth? Because again, it is repeated the Primus says, he goes for your world or he comes for your world's soul and we must stop him. Why is that so important? Why is that so fixated? And to bring it back to a question that I've been asking from Legion, is, is this something Sargeras knew about? Is this something that he found out about or was twisted in a way, thanks to the Nathrazine, that led him to be way more interested in Azeroth than would have normally been something he would have been interested in? And is there a reason he didn't want to cleave it? And was it just because he wanted Azeroth to be a champion against the Void, that he wanted it to be part of his family, or did he have an idea of what was going on? What do you think, Matt? Anything in there?
0: I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting questions there, but we don't have anything to go on in terms of it. I do think it's interesting that the Winter Queen calls Alun her sister, Mm -hmm. and there's clearly a relationship there. The Winter Queen also calls the other Eternal Ones from the Shadowlands sister and brother.
2: So does the Primus. Primus does that as well.
0: And they call Zoval that.
2: Yeah, brother. Yep.
0: If Alun is a being that the Titans worked with, and we know she is because... Elunaria. Not just that, the, the tier of a loon is one of the things used to affect the pillars of creation. It's mm-hmm. it is a pillar of creation. The others were all things created by the Titans. If the Titans are beings from like the realm of order, and we now know the eternal ones kind of perform a similar role in the Shadowlands, and a loon might be the, like that, say in the Emerald Dream. And we know that both the Shadowlands and the Emerald Dream seem to be places that exist within Azeroth or within the reality of Azeroth, they're not in the realm of death or the realm of life. You know what I mean? They're of those places, but they're not in them. They are in like, they're they're, they're in a different pocket of reality that's w- within the one that Azeroth itself exists in. Hmm. Does that mean there's an arcane realm? That's where the Titans originally come from. And, 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 and where there are, the grimoire you know, seems
2: to indicate some something like that too.
0: Yeah. And does that mean that there's a fell one and a light one and a void one? Is other other places like the Shadowlands? Because we know that the Void and the Light both can enter the Shadowlands, because both have done it. The uh, the Naru have invaded Revendreth. The Void attacked Bastion. You know, it's not just an going around the universe playing games with them. Those games can be played right back at them. And the when the Naru came to to Revendreth, they effed the place up.
2: Mm-hmm. They, they, they they laid you know, waste to a place that is still a wasteland. It is yeah. Mad Max levels of wasteland.
0: So the realm of death is not immune to being interfered with by cosmic forces and neither are any of these other realms. Like there could be all sorts of stuff happening in any of them. And I just, I keep finding myself thinking like, you know, if there's, I keep hate, I hate going back to Dungeons and Dragons, but I do think it's kind of interesting to think about the way that they've done higher and lower planes of existence Yeah, and how in this cosmology, like the grimoire of the shadowlands basically flips around the worlds on the, uh, orrery for lack of a better word it puts them in different places i wonder if there's the titans are kind of like the old gods in the naru they're they're a way for beings who who should be dwelling outside of our reality to enter it Mm -hmm. like because we know that the titans are like blobs of pure arcane power that get thrown into our cosmos and then worlds get built around them to like hold them like pearls why is that? Does our universe attempt to encapsulate them because they're just they're just this raw arcane power? There's too much, and we know what happens when there's all that arcane power but no soul using it. Because mm-hmm. we got Draenor to look at a world without a world soul. All the spirit energy generated by living things just goes into that world, and it goes off the rails.
2: The other thing that I keep thinking about, too, and this comes back with the grimoire, and we're probably going to talk about the grimoire at some point uh, in the in the near future, a little more in depth, but looking at the chart and looking at the original cosmology chart, and like you're saying, like they, they have this this really interesting interplay of how they do the higher and lower planes. But I started to think about like maybe, and of course, everybody always thinks their, their theories are right and clever, but a wh- long, long, long time ago when Chronicle 1 first came out, I asked the question of, is Azeroth important because it represents a nexus point where it can touch all of the realms? And is that what Zoval wants? Is that what he needs access to? Is it that he needs Azeroth as a way to get to the arcane plane, to the plane of life, to the plane of death, uh, beyond the Shadowlands, because there is the Void Plane? Uh, does he need that to invade all of those places? We know that those place, those other places can invade the Shadowlands, so there's definitely a way to get between them. But does he need a central point to stage warfare? And is that how he unmakes the universe? By disrupting how everything touches and interplays with each other to reform it into his own vision of what the universe should be? Again, lots of questions, but it's starting to maybe crystallize the point that Azeroth is important. Maybe not necessarily because it is a world soul, but because it operates as the place where enough concentrated power exists and all of those other places touch In such a unique way compared to every other world soul that has existed, including with Alun's touch and everything else, that that's why he needs it, so that he can start waging his war in earnest.
0: Let me read something to you. This is from uh, Grimoire of the Shadlands. One unique trait of the night elves is worth particular note. While most of their people's souls are born across the veil, as expected, certain night elves may also linger in the mortal realm in a soul shape they refer to as a wisp. Mm -hmm. It is this author's opinion that this phenomenon is caused by the soul's intrinsic bonds with the magical nature of its home forest, thus creating a tether that allows the wisp to remain among the living. Though, it should be acknowledged, I cannot entirely rule out the interference of a loon. Their revered deity in this matter, as we well know, beings of her origin cannot, under any circumstance, be trusted. Yeah. What do they mean by that? What do they mean by her origin? Do they mean they don't trust them? Like, is is this a case of well, these people, these beings, aren't mercantile like us, so they can't be trusted because they don't have a predictable motive, or is it something else?
2: Which then begs the question of how does that play into the uh, the aspects of death and the pantheon of death who are ostensibly a loon's brothers and sisters
0: yeah it's it's fascinating and and interestingly like it doesn't it is it puts up more questions than it answers you know does that like what are you talking about I, i really want to know what he mean what they mean by all of that but it is interesting to think about in terms of what we're just we just talked about
2: all that to say friends we are probably going to be finding out in the very near future as the campaign in this game marches on because there is still much more content uh, ahead of us. Uh, So with that, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ad's free site experience. Again, if you have questions for this or any of our other podcasts, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com or one of our various discord channels uh and if you can support us on patreon we do appreciate it it does make this and other shows possible and allows us to continue and grow and diversify what we cover as a website and as a reminder all of us at Blizzard watch do stand with the employees of activision blizzard in demanding change for a better work environment and a better tomorrow